0: Hello, Spire Network, and welcome to another Spirecast episode. We're very excited today uh, to have Carrie Newhoff with us. Carrie, uh, uh, the podcaster, well-known author, um, pastor, and uh, speaker, and uh, we're, we're really excited to be able to talk with him. Uh, Spirecast is an opportunity for us to bring the best resources uh, for leaders and uh, to help provide inspiring content for you uh, in leading churches across the country. And so we're excited for another opportunity to do that together. Um, If you have um, um, seen there at the bottom uh, crawl of of our screen, we're going to be giving away a couple copies of Carrie's book, Uh, Didn't See It Coming. And so if you share uh, this live stream on Facebook, and you can do that even throughout Uh, The day uh, today and uh, I think up through 12 hours after we do this broadcast, um, uh, we're going to be making sure that we give away two copies of Carrie's book. Uh, Didn't see it coming and uh, excited to um, uh to to share this time together with carrie carrie did a talk for us at the virtual conference that we had back in september it seems like it wasn't that long ago but in covid time it has been a quite a bit of time uh for uh since since carrie's uh talk for us at the virtual conference and we're going to be re-airing that today uh, and before we do i'd love to bring carrie on carrie we're super excited to have you uh be a part of our spire uh network uh, spirecast today and uh, thanks so much for making time to be with us
1: Oh, it's a joy. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you having me.
0: I mentioned that uh, it's been a little bit of time since uh, you gave this talk, and the talk was really great. It was called the of uh, church after COVID and really talked about three disruptive trends that you really saw happening um, for the church to be uh, considerate of. I didn't know if maybe before we get started and see this, if uh, because things have a little bit of a shelf life, I didn't know if maybe there were some things that you were seeing, some things that were new or some things that maybe have changed since September and uh, what, you, what, what those might be.
1: Well, you're right. It is kind of like dog years, right? Like a month is a year in terms of (laughs) acceleration. We know that crisis is an accelerator. Uh, So the good news is things haven't changed that much. I look back at the talk as I got ready to record. I think I recorded it in August of 2020. So we were just months in. Um, But I do think that there is a consolidation trend that is, we're going to see, we'll know a year from now, where that has landed. But I think some of the big, it's kind of what, it's a microcosm of what's happened uh, ironically, which hadn't developed last fall, Uh, but the rich got richer and the poor got poorer in this pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the Mm -hmm. shadow sides of what's been going on economically. But I think the same is probably true of of the church. And my guess is mid-sized churches will have the hardest time because Mm -hmm. some of the big churches that had a robust online presence probably picked up a lot of people. And again, we still don't fully know I mean, we're not really in the post-pandemic era. We see it coming, but we don't really know when everything is open, who is going to be there, who's not going to be there. So right now we're looking at digits and all that. So I think that trend is continuing. Another trend I, I took a look at was that, um, well, I want to get to that one in a second, but the return to church may not be the rush leaders hope for. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, that was prophetic. Um, <laughs> mm. Almost almost no, like a tiny sliver of churches are saying they've grown during the pandemic, and that initial like Easter rush followed by the summer slump has continued to be a slump. Barna produced data since September that said one in five Americans, churchgoers, not just Americans, but churchgoers stopped attending church Mm. in 2020. Is that coming back? I don't know. Mm. And then the third thing is the shift from home-based to facility-based. So just this, or from facility-based ministry to home-based ministry. Just this morning, I was reading a piece, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal about um, business executives, CEOs who were polled on the return to the office, and they were really mixed. There were some people mm-hmm. who are like, "Nope, it's going to be normal again," and others who are like, "No way." And many CEOs have reduced their square footage. Mm-hmm. And I think you're going to see the same thing. I posted on my Instagram this morning, uh, Chris. You know this this piece uh, that I forget. It was in a, a major publication, anyway, just about home design trends and how they've changed. Because you know, I set this home office up back in 2016, because this was going to be my headquarters. Uh, But a lot of people are doing that this year. It's like, okay, if I'm going to be at home, we're going to have a hybrid work situation. The kids are like, you know, a lot of kids are going back to school, but some will be homeschooled now. Parents Mm -hmm. are like, oh, we kind of like this. And so they're going to be redesigning their offices, their homes, so that it functions more in the post-pandemic flow. So I think all that is going to impact church. So I think most of them stand up. They probably tweaked a little bit, and then then there's some more stuff that's emerged as well.
0: Well, fantastic. I know that um, you all will want to comment and ask some questions of Carrie. So, if you have some questions while we're watching uh, the talk, uh, please uh, don't hesitate to put those in the comment section and we'll work through your questions afterwards. We look forward uh, to talking with Carrie. So, uh, after let's I see just... the
1: talk, I may disagree with myself. <laughs> Stay tuned for that. I was just looking at my notes, like, okay, yeah, I think that mostly, but maybe I'll say something I'm like, wow, that was so wrong.
0: So, <laughs> Probably. (laughs) Well, let's take a look at it now. Uh, Let's go ahead and start the talk. It's
1: so good to be with you at Spire this year. Man, I'll tell you, this has been a year unlike any year any of us has ever experienced. And probably one of the questions that you have and I have is, when is this thing going to end? And if you had asked me in the spring of 2020, I would have said, you know what, I think we'll get through the summer and like things will be a little bit normal again or maybe to a new normal. But That doesn't appear to be happening anytime soon. And I want to talk to you about a few trends that I am seeing right now that I think will perhaps be more permanent than we even hope they will be. So first of it is going to sound a little bit like bad news, um, and and that's okay. Um, But what I've discovered is that if you take the bad news up front, you end up with a better life. I remember a few years ago, I went to the gym for the first time, Uh, really, in my life. I'm an asthmatic, so... uh, Physical activity was always a bit of a challenge for me and then my asthma got better and I thought, okay, I'm gonna start like working out. I'm gonna lose some weight and I hired a trainer And uh, I sat down with a trainer, and he told me stuff I I don't like to hear. Like, apparently, I did not know this, but um, how much you eat impacts your weight. Did you know that? And going to Dairy Queen is not on the plan. And after he really told me, I remember there was one day where he said to me, uh, he said he had another client, you know, another client. I'm sure he was telling other clients about me. But he said he had another client who came in. And he said, What did you have to eat? And he had to go to the confessional booth and tell him, Well, I went to McDonald's. And he said, I had a Big Mac and I had a shake and I had French fries for lunch. And he goes, Okay, get on the treadmill. And he says, We're going to work that off. And so the guy started just walking and then light running on the treadmill. And he goes, After about 45 minutes, okay, are we done yet? And he goes, No. And three hours later, he was finished. And, you know, if you know that information up front, it's like, oh, if I do that, it's going to take me three hours on the treadmill to work off all those calories. So anyway, it was all the hard truth that kind of led me to lose a few pounds and get into better shape. And uh, now, you know, I still enjoy eating, but the hard truth is the more I eat, uh, the more I don't take care of my health. And and so these are going to feel a little bit like hard truths up front, but I think long term it will be easier if we can digest them now. So one thing we know about crisis, and this is true of every historic crisis, is that crisis is not just a disruptor, it's an accelerator. So what crisis does is it accelerates trends that started and maybe would take five to 10 years. So for example, remote work. Uh, I've been saying for a few years, hey, there will be a day, and I mean, you can Google this and find it out for yourself, where uh, a lot of people work from home. And that seems to be really desirable, but I thought it was going to come five to 10 years down the road. Then all of a sudden overnight in March of 2020, all of us who do office work or knowledge work, what are we doing? We're working from home and leading remote teams. Now, some of that will pivot back to where it was before, but a lot of it won't. If you look at the polling, like Gallup is finding a lot of employees actually like working from home. And the reason they like working from home is they don't have a commute. They don't have traffic. They don't have to, maybe they can get rid of a car. Uh, They don't have the gas bill that they used to. And it's kind of surprising that I found that I think it was 59% in a Gallup poll I said of people who are new remote workers say, yes, we want this to continue in some form in the future. And that was surprising because these have hardly been ideal conditions, right? Daycares are closed, schools are closed. uh, You're sitting in a spare bedroom in the closet trying to work on your laptop. Like when schools are open and daycares are open and you actually have an office built in your home, like, yeah, that's way more attractive maybe than doing the commute day after day. So I think crisis is an accelerator and the world will be permanently changed. And the longer this lasts, the more that the habits that we have formed during this disruption are going to stick around. So And the time we have available today, I want to focus on three disruptive trends that I think every church leader is wise to pay attention to. Even if it is like, you know, hey, you shouldn't be going to McDonald's, (laughs) right? If it's that kind of of truth, uh, in the end, we're going to be better for it. So, um, trend number one the church will consolidate as it expands. So, the church is going to go through Further consolidation, and what is consolidation? Consolidation is kind of an economic term that says that there will be fewer businesses doing more business. So look at what happened to the independent book industry in the 1990s and uh, the 2000s. All these little independent bookstores went out of business as Borders and Barnes and Noble and Target and Costco took book selling more seriously. So the large players kind of took out some of the independent players, and then of course Amazon comes along. and becomes a threat to some of the big box retailers. So that's market consolidation. We're still buying books. We're just not buying them the way they used to. Now, when you look back over the last few decades, you can make an argument that the multi-site movement and the mega-church movement was a consolidation of the market. Did mega-churches reach new people? You bet they reach new people. Do multi-site churches reach new people? You bet. But we also know that part of the story is... People who used to go to this little independent Baptist or this small Presbyterian or small Anglican or small Methodist or Assemblies of God church decided when big church came to town that they were gonna go there. And so some of these small churches disappeared. Now, what's happening online Is I believe that there is consolidation happening. And some of you have experienced that. You've seen your online numbers go up. It is, and you don't know because you haven't got a full return to church. We'll talk about that. But you suspect that there are far more people who are actually watching your church than perhaps pre-COVID. And you look at some of the largest churches and that is demonstrably true. I mean, you scroll across your Facebook feed and like 5,000 people are watching at that moment. And you remember pre-COVID, it was like 1,300 people. So what's happening is the market is probably consolidating. And some of you are the beneficiaries of that. And for others, it's gonna be a little more challenging. Now, Barnett did a poll in the early days of COVID, so this data is a couple of months old, but think about how motivated you were at the beginning of the crisis to participate in church online. Everyone saw their numbers spike. But the story under the story is that 48% of churchgoers in May of 2020, so we're two months into the crisis, 48% of churchgoers said that they had not participated in any form of church in the last four weeks. So while numbers were still going up, People were like, yeah, I I haven't done anything. Only 40% of respondents said that they actually watched their own church online. And 23% of churchgoers said, actually, we're kind of watching another church. So there's a shift going on. And we won't really know what happened with that shift until the dust is all settled. And we don't know when the dust is going to settle. Is it going to settle Early next year, is it gonna settle two years from now? We don't really know. But there's probably, while we sleep, consolidation of the market going on. And that can be troubling or that can be an opportunity. So in the future, the church will prevail, the capital C church will prevail, but not every church will prevail. So what do you do about that? Well, if you're a small church and you don't really have the resources of a mega church, what can you do? Here's what I would suggest nobody can out-local the local church. So yes, you can't compete. No, you may not have the best communicator on planet Earth. And yes, sometimes your music team has to look down at cheap music in front of it. Okay, so you haven't got the best players in the world, maybe not the best communicator on planet Earth, but nobody should be able to out-local the local church. What can you do to reach out to your community, to love your community, to partner with your city, to encourage your people to go out and love their neighbors? Like there is a local angle that the local church should be best at. Because, you know, a large church, an online conference like this, coming to your town to love people, okay? That can be your opportunity. So I think if you're a local church, nobody should be able to out-local you. But if you're a larger church and you were already growing pre-COVID and you see your online numbers spiking, you have to figure out how are we going to assimilate those people? How are we going to connect them in their local community, in groups, et cetera? But I do think consolidation is happening and we won't really know what that looks like until we get to the other side of whatever the new normal is. Okay, that's trend number one. Trend number two, the return to church might not be the rush leaders hope for. So we have varying data. But here's what we're learning. We're learning that most churches that have reopened, and not every church has reopened, are discovering that about 20 to 70% of the super high end, it's more like 20 to 40%, but a a fraction of their former in-person church attenders are returning to church. And it's easy to dismiss that and say, oh, well, you know what, it's because we haven't found a vaccine, we're still wearing masks, or some people are wearing masks, or, you know, it's confusing. But in the new normal, everybody's going to come back, not so fast, because crisis is an accelerator. So have a look at this data from the Barna Group. Now, when you actually look at this data, you can see that long before COVID hit, there has been a slide in regular church attendance in every single demographic, from boomers to Gen X to millennials, and then, of course, to Gen Z prior to COVID. Now, crisis is an accelerator. We'll talk about that a little bit more ahead of time. But it's also the cradle for innovation and breakthrough. So what you have to think is am I going to bet the entire future that everybody is gonna come back? And there may be a moment, right, when there's a vaccine and NFL stadiums are filled up again and the NBA is back to normal and Major League Baseball is filling stadiums again where everyone's like, we're gonna rush back to church. And that happened after 9-11, but it lasted for about two weeks. And then what happened? It went down again. And perhaps if crisis is an accelerator, you have to think, okay, how are we gonna pivot to the future? And that leads us quickly and, and I know that sounds depressing. It's like, what, you're telling me these people aren't coming back? I just wouldn't bet the future on the fact that they are. So where does this leave us? And that gets us to a beacon of hope and some strategy for trend number three. I believe the future church will shift from facility-based to home-based, to home-based. Not entirely, do I think people will gather in a centralized facility? Yes, I believe that's true. But I think the home will become the new hub. You see, for too many pastors, losing access to their buildings felt like losing access to their ministry. And I know none of us believes that's true. All of us put out on social, the church has never been closed. And that's true. But we behaved as though that was not the case. We behaved as though until we can go back into our buildings again, we we can't really have church. And, and I'm worried that the rush back into the building is going to be a rush back into the past. So Um, we just behave like the church closed. Now, five things have shifted, I think in a very significant and perhaps lasting way in 2020. You may see a little bounce back on some of these, but I don't think it will return to pre- COVID level. So look at what's happening at home right now in the culture as a whole. So first thing that shifted to home, we've already hinted on it, was work. Work shifted to home. So it's like all of a sudden we're all working from home. Some of those people will return to offices, but Google has now told its employees that they don't have to come back until 2022 if they don't want to. It's like, no, this is becoming a long-term shift. Another thing that shifted home almost entirely was shopping, right? Like Amazon was showing up at your door before, but but never (laughs) as often as they they have during COVID, so shopping has shifted home, and malls are starting to figure out what are we going to be like when, when COVID is over, and that's a really good question. Food has shifted home, not only home cooking and baking, but takeout over dining in. So home has become the epicenter for food. That's probably a long time trend. Fitness, right? How many people just said, I'm going to get some weights, or I'm, I'm, I'm going to get uh, you know, a trainer for my bike, or I'm going to get some different things. And now you got a home gym set up. Will gyms in the fitness industry ever be the same again? Or I'm just going to start running, because then I don't need a gym membership. So that's moved home. And then finally, entertainment, right? You can't go to a cinema, and a lot of people aren't, even when it reopens, going to a cinema anytime soon. So Hollywood is now releasing directly to home. So those are five major areas of culture that have shifted home. And the question of course is, well, what about church? And for a few months, we all shifted home. But as church leaders fix their gaze on the future, they're starting to ask, well, now we're gonna get you back to a facility. And I'm wondering if that is a mistake. I think when homes of the future are designed, we're gonna even architecturally design our homes differently. I think people are gonna look for more rooms where they can have home offices because maybe 50% of people aren't going back to their offices or are going to request flexible work arrangements. What about school? If it's wobbly for a little while, you're like, I want an area where the kids can learn together. Uh, fitness, like I'm gonna build in a home gym. And again, I realize not everyone can afford that, but what I am saying is, I think this is gonna be a shift in culture. Well, what if the home becomes the hub for church and your facility starts to be an equipping center as much as it is a gathering center? And you have an opportunity there, I think, to come alongside parents and say, we're gonna equip you to minister in home seven days a week. We're gonna equip you to come alongside your neighbors and your friends and your community and your city and your region. And we're gonna help you actually make a difference in your community. So you become the equipping center rather than the pinnacle where everybody comes to hear a message. So I think in the future, churches that are growing, will become digital organizations with physical expressions. A little bit more like Amazon than JCPenney, a little bit more like Tesla than GM, because Tesla, yeah, they've got showrooms, but like they're the size of a small clothing store, not this massive sprawling acreage with millions of dollars of inventory. I think we're gonna see things shift. So will there be church buildings in the future? Yeah, there will be, but it will be different. Remember, crisis is not just a disruptor, it's an accelerator. To get you ready for the future, what can you do? I got a free resource because I think agility becomes a superpower in the future. And I think we're gonna have to pivot. I've pivoted multiple times. I know in my own organization, our church has pivoted and your church has pivoted. And I think the real innovation is ahead because what's happened so far in COVID mostly is adaptation. We didn't really have a choice. Innovation is ahead. And if you wanna become a nimble, agile organization, I would love for you to just text the word, pivot ready to 33777. And I would be happy to continue the conversation and give you some of the tools and skills you'll need to be able to pivot into a much brighter future. So it's been so good to be with you today at Spire. And uh, I wish you all the best as we move into this new future together. Well, there we go. So one thing has changed, Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, that text thing doesn't work anymore. They changed oh, the software, so I think it's Pivot Ready cheat sheet or something like that. My team can hook you guys up.
0: If super. Knows. We'll make we'll make note of that when yeah. we uh, have this on the broadcast. No worries. No, it's
1: amazing <laughs> how how that stood up. I, I don't know. What do you think? Do you do you disagree? What what doesn't resonate?
0: You know, I remember watching it the first time, and I remember mm. thinking, especially about point number two. I'm not so sure that that's going to be the case.
1: Oh, the return. People people
0: are still going to have their churches, but you know what, as time has gone on, I think that's been the biggest thing for me that I'm, I'm seeing the church, um, needing to find ways to become more of a platform than it is a building or an event. And, and um, uh, so I, I think for me, that was the, that was the, uh, the biggest shift uh, in this material over the last six months where I thought, yeah, that's really, really true uh, in terms of seeing the church become uh, more of a facilitator of the home-based church experience as opposed to the church-based experience.
1: It's the weirdest thing, you know, and we were talking about this before we went live, but like a year is a long time for a habit to form. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I read a lot, but on the weekend, it was something like the majority of people are not renewing their gym memberships because Mm -hmm. they've invested in kettlebells. They have a Peloton, Mm -hmm. you know, Peloton's back in stock. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at getting one this summer, right? Like (laughs) uh, at a certain point, people are like, well, I spent a thousand dollars on equipment, like I got to justify my gym membership and then habits, like the biggest surprise for me, because I'm in a founding pastor role now Mm -hmm. was I wasn't allowed in our church building for the first few months of the pandemic, just due Mm -hmm. to limits. You know, I have no functional utility anymore. I don't run a camera. I don't run Mm -hmm. sound. Uh, so unless I was teaching, I wasn't in the building. And at first I felt really guilty. And now I'm like, no, this is pretty awesome. Like I get it because this is, this is the conversation I had for 20 years. And we reached a lot of unchurched people and continue to is they would show up at our church and say, well, you know, I really like being here. This is great. I've given my life to Christ where I'm investigating and getting baptized, but man, Sunday is a hard day to give up. Mm -hmm. Now I'm a kid who grew up in church and it's Mm -hmm. like, I never knew what it was like not to be at church until the last year. And now for the first I'm not justifying it but I'm like oh this is what these guys were talking about it is a very very different pace when you have two days on the weekend when the world is kind of on common pause and you know we'll be going back to church like of course we are and our small group is gathering tonight still via Zoom but like when you think about a long-term disruptive pattern it's pretty alarming and and very few churches have fully recaptured pre-covid levels of attendance no matter how you slice it. And almost nobody's really growing right now. Mm -hmm. So that's like, that's like very, uh, unless they're growing by consolidation, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. when the dust settles, it's like, Oh yeah, we're up a hundred people, a thousand people, but it's like, Oh, you came from this church and that church. And you know, it's sort of the preach off and some of the big churches wanted that.
0: We thought that, you know, the vaccine would really be the beginning to the end. And we thought that uh, once we had a vaccine out and once it began to just be distributed and and move forward and, you know, that we're we're going to reach sort of a herd immunity uh, by most reports by April. Vaccines will be out to most folks uh, here, at least in the States, uh, we believe around May. But how is this maybe not the case? How is uh, how is the vaccine maybe not the beginning to the end? Gary?
1: Well, I think what it does, is it's going to reveal, because I think you're right. I think you guys, I wish we were as, as advanced as you were in your progress against, the, uh, against COVID. We'll, we'll be a few months delayed in Canada. I'm north of Toronto. But um, regardless, when, when people are allowed to do what people want to do, go to stadiums, mm-hmm. eat at restaurants, go to conferences, hang out with family, hug people. So whenever that moment arrives, whether that's a few months from now or a year from now, uh, people's behavior is going to be really telling. And I, I, my theory, and again, I could be wrong is that we're going to behave like college kids who got released from a very strict background. And you know, that, that sort of coiled spring who goes to first year college and it's like, oh, I can drink now. I can party. Oh, I can sleep around or whatever. I think that is going to be our culture because my neighbors are like planning vacations and, Mm. They're like, like boats are sold out here for Mm. a long, long time. You can't get a boat for another year. And I think when the world opens up my prediction and I hope I'm wrong is see ya, right? I'll I'll be back when I feel like being back. Uh, I was reading a piece. It was a British piece about the rise of ultra luxury vacations, because one of the thoughts is like what's happened to cruising is cruising dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Apparently to the contrary, it's booming. And there's one guy they quoted who spent over $100,000 on a cruise because he said, I missed my 70th birthday. I'm mm-hmm. not missing another one. Bought sweets, you know, this guy's loaded, but he mm-hmm. bought sweets for all the kids and all the grandkids. And we're doing this up in style. And the more I look at how people, I think it's going to be a profoundly selfish era and if you think about trends right like does this mark the psyche of a generation so what do we get after the first world war and the spanish flu we got the 1920s roaring 20s jazz music great gatsby Mm uh movie theaters the whole deal very selfish decade Mm -hmm. then the depression hits and the second world war hits what do we get after that the 50s which is prosperity uh all about me now church was still part of the culture then it's not Mm -hmm. anymore I wonder if we're going to go through a period, whether that's month or months or years, where people are like, yeah, you know what, because I couldn't go anywhere, I'm gone. Like we're Mm -hmm. at the mountains, we're at an Airbnb. Mm -hmm. So that makes our online presence even more important. Because if we're banking on everybody going, yep, I'm giving up three or four hours on a Sunday morning to be with you in person at a fixed time and a fixed place, I don't know whether that strategy is going to be effective in the future. Mm-hmm. It was already faltering, as we saw, right? Like, yeah. boom, 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 down, down, down goes church attendance. But I don't know. O- open to people who disagree, but yeah. like, that's what I'm thinking about right now.
0: Just as we take a look at things like, you know, uh, World War II and the trends that need to happen, the trends that happened after the Spanish flu and all those things. So, so interesting to see that I think that the the stage is set for a lot of those uh, things that you described to take place. Uh, folks, if you have a question uh, for Carrie, uh, please don't hesitate to drop that into the comment section. We're going to be walking through some of those. I have a question here from Matthew Steiger um, and, and Matthew says... Um, uh, you know, Are are all of these trends uh, current, you know, or, or does that happen in geographical locations too? It's not a small church, but they are in a small town. And mm. seeing, you know, from a rural context, the pendulum really hasn't swung as far as maybe the city context. Just wondering if you're seeing this in other places as well, Kerry.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you raised that question, Matthew. I think it, the jury's out on that one. Um, I, I do some coaching and one of the guys is always, you know, we hear from, it's a group across America. And so we hear from a guy in California who's been in lockdown forever and New Yorkers who haven't seen anything. And then he's in the Midwest and he's like, well, here it's just like it was. Nobody has COVID. Next week is COVID. Right. And then, you know, everybody's everybody's back. I'm like, well, how's your attendance? He's like, well, it's 80%. And I'm like, so what is it? Are 20% still hold up? It's like, no, they're going to family. They're going to movies. They're just not coming to church. So mm-hmm. I think there is that temptation. And I've heard that so much, like the trends don't apply to us. What I would encourage you to do, and if that's the case, awesome. That's great. I would look generationally though, because what the data is showing is that boomers have a preference for in-person attendance. And if you're looking at Gen Z or millennials, they, they actually favor hybrid church. And so often when you get into the Bible Belt, when you get into more rural settings or small town settings, the cultural differences don't show up geographically as much as they do demographically. So pull your teenagers, what are they going to be doing? Are they going to be out every Friday night forever and ever? Uh, Are your young couples going to be like, yep, we got an Airbnb in the mountains and we'll see you later. So I would, I would just say like, I hope it, it, you know, it would be a lot easier if everything just went back, but, and maybe you'll buck buck the trend. But even when, you know, I, I, I haven't done a live event in a long time in person. But I remember just before everything shut down, I was in Dallas and I was sharing some trends and I I usually get a bit of pushback from people. And there was a boomer pastor who came up and said, well, Carrie, you know, you're from Toronto. It's not that way here in Texas. And his youth pastor was standing next to me, him and he (laughs) said, actually, you should come to the student ministry. It is so radically different than adult ministry and all the things we were talking about that day. That didn't apply to him. The the senior pastor applied to the student pastor, mm-hmm. and so often and and data would bear that out. Like if you look at if you start to stratify the Barna, Barna data, um, mm-hmm. a young person in Texas, a twenty year old in Texas, has more in common with a fifty year old in California, which is just bizarre in terms mm-hmm. of values, LGBTQ theology, belief. Um, that next generation is just radically different.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So interesting. We talked about that that first point, um, uh, Carrie. That churches will begin to consolidate, and we see consolidation as something that um, is is most likely inevitable through this. So, my my question is this. Is that such a bad thing um you know there's been a time where i think conventional wisdom was hey church planting and planting more churches more churches more churches more churches was was really the thing and and um so now as we look at things moving to more of a, a technological base or we're looking at being able to facilitate sort of that home concept um do you think consolidation is maybe such a bad thing for the church
1: yeah, I think there's an inevitability to it and it it kind of, you know, as as a, as a <laughs> As an accelerator, it'll sort of give you the wake-up call. It's a cold splash of water on your face when you're like, okay, maybe we weren't doing so well before and, and now we aren't. But if you think about how church buildings have evolved, right, it made sense. Like I started here in the nineties. And if you're at my house, I could take you right outside that door and take you to the three little churches that were planted in the mid-19th century. And I <laughs> inherited them limping along in the mid-90s. They were, they were within days of closing their
0: doors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And by the grace of God, there was a new story and some new life and we amalgamated them and the whole deal. But, you know, the paddles were on them. They were going to die. But it made sense to plant those in the 19th century because people had horses and buggies and they walked to church. And that's why you needed a neighborhood church. The 1950s comes along and suddenly people had cars and you could you could drive. So the towns I'm in a rural community but Aurelia to the north, Bury to the south, people could go to the big church in town and hear the better preacher. And so they did. They got in their cars and they moved. And that made it hard for little tiny churches and little tiny communities. Um, and then, you know, we got online. And so megachurches, and, and I think everybody knows this is one of the secrets, is mega churches, a lot of their growth didn't come from unchurched people. Uh, ours did because we're in a pretty post-christian culture but like a lot of that is just transfer growth it was like what barnes and noble and amazon did to the independent booksellers Mm -hmm. megachurches did to the local church now what's happened is online has further cannibalized it because the car took away geography but the internet really took away geography and Mm -hmm. suddenly Mm -hmm. i like you know a good example someone on my staff left her church in toronto during the pandemic and I had a buddy here all last week, Mark Clark, who I do some courses with. And uh, Mark and I recorded a new one that'll come out this summer. And, you know, he's in Vancouver. That's 3,000 miles away, a five hour flight away, but he's planting a Toronto location. And someone on my team is like, yep, Village Church is my home. So mm-hmm. suddenly geography is no longer a factor. Right. And so I think you're seeing further consolidation, but that gives the opportunity back to, to Matthew's question. Um, he has the opportunity to be local. Like, you know, I love Mike Todd and Transformation Church, but he's not coming to Matthew's town. I no. think I can say that with confidence. Groeschel, Craig Rochelle, I love Craig. He's probably not coming to your town either. So you can be local. So just as you see the rise of like local foods and shop local, uh, I think you have the opportunity to love your community, to be the church in your community. So rather than competing on the level of I'm a better speaker... I'm probably not a better speaker than Craig Rochelle or, or Mike Todd. I'm just not. Uh, I'm not as good as Christine Kane. I can't preach like that. Okay, so But what I can do is I can love my community. And what I can do is, is uniquely leverage the power of the local church. And that's where I think the hope is.
0: No one can outlocal the local church, uh, probably by design, right? It's a great, great yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, I wondered about that in particular as you see this this second trend beginning to happen, where we're shifting more to that home-based, away from the church-based or the building-based. Uh, Are are there some some churches, some folks that you've heard that are doing a really great job and what are they doing in particular to really help facilitate that shift from building based programming or building based uh, event to um, uh, to more of a, a home based or a family based?
1: So Levi Lusco, I think, has been doing some really exciting things. They're multi-state, they're multi-town, and a lot of their campuses, you think of Levi as leading a mega church, but mm-hmm. and it is, but I think their biggest room seat's like 500. It's not that, mm-hmm. that huge. So it's seat turns and multiple services and multiple venues, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but they, they have really started to pay attention to micro gatherings and to uh, what's going on in people's homes. So this idea of micro campuses, right? So- Uh, What I've been longing for along the way, and COVID has made it impossible, I have been longing for someone to tell me, Carrie, this is how you host something in your backyard. This is how you do something for your neighbors, not just for a small group, but on Sunday morning where you can come alongside people. Like I I get very excited about that. So I think they've been doing a good job. Dave Ferguson just texted me the other day and asked me who it was. And (laughs) I I had a list for him and I'm kind of blanking right now. Let me see if I can. Oh, there it is. Dave said, I think Mike Todd is doing a really good job. Oh, John Mark Comer. That's the other one. I was talking to John Mark Comer uh, the other day, and John Mark is actually doing a really good separation of what is happening online from what's happening in person. So online isn't just a live stream. He's going to more silence in person, more acoustic in person, more stripped down in person, more relational in person. Um, New Zealand and Australia are pretty much open now, like they're maskless and the whole deal because they've they've had a radically different approach to the pandemic. And what Dave Adamson is saying about what he's seeing there, and I'm spending a lot of time in Australia this week, so I could have an update a week from you on this, (laughs) uh, virtually, of course, is that the churches that are offering a more relational experience on Sunday morning Mm -hmm. are doing a lot better than churches that are just putting on the show Mm -hmm. with the lights and the sound and the hype. So I think you're going to see, and this is a very live issue, Uh, probably a divergence in a lot of churches between what is streamed on a Sunday. Like this idea, we're going to put a camera at the back of the room and just stream Sunday morning.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's probably, I don't know there you guys would remember this, but remember when the NFL decided to get rid of, it was a really weird experiment. They got rid of commentary and they just played what you could hear in the stadium.
0: Right. Yeah. I remember that awful. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It was like, it was such a bad idea. And the whole thing is like, if you're in the stadium, right. You're going to, You'll 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 get like some really, you know you'll see it differently. But actually, the much better experience is when you watch TV. I'm more of a baseball guy. I don't really follow mm-hmm. sports, but like you know, going to see the Blue Jays and the Yankees play. It's like not all that exciting in the stadium. I and mean, you don't even know who's at bat half the time mm-hmm. unless you're paying attention. But on, on screen, <laughs> you see everything. You see the curve, the fastball, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so I think we're going to move to that kind of experience where what's happening in the room is not the same thing that's happening on the screen. Now, that mm-hmm. takes resources. That mm-hmm. takes skill. That takes, like, extra time. So it actually got a little bit more complicated. But mm-hmm. I think that's probably going to be a trend to watch.
0: Yeah. And that really it kind of takes to this next question from from Nate, uh, you know, with with so many uh, staying online, how do we continue to make disciples in a mm-hmm. biblical way? And towards that that point, how how do you see discipleship being really impacted and affected?
1: Yeah. So the first thing I would do, Nate, that's a great question, is just remove the idea of building from discipleship. So we've had a little bit of a false narrative. The, the The debate that sort of emerged in a lot of my circles and on my website is, oh, you're saying online church replaces in-person church. No, I've never said that, never believed it. Maybe I didn't communicate it well enough. I think what'll happen is we live in this seamless loop of in-person and online, right? So I'm, I'm in an actual room and I'm going to go upstairs for lunch in a little bit and see my real wife in real life. But right now you and I are talking across time zones uh, to people from all over America. And that's like a really fascinating thing that we live in. And I think the church will reflect that reality. So this weekend I'm here, but next weekend I'm in my home. And the weekend after that, I'm at, well, there's no beaches here, but, you know, I'm at the beach or wherever you happen to be. And so the question then becomes if your only model of discipleship is building centric which it has been for a lot of churches it's not it's not a discipleship versus evangelism thing it's no our model of discipleship is building centric then you have a problem but really mm-hmm. jesus model of discipleship was people centric not building centric so if you can think about how do we equip how do i equip carry out his house how do i equip people in their neighborhoods how do i equip people in small groups and do that like kind of uber and airbnb or church So that rather than building more square footage, you're gonna have square footage, you need a headquarters, you need a place to gather people, you do. But if you can think more like I'm not a hotel, I'm Airbnb. So I'm Mm gonna leverage private residences and make them available for the purposes of vacation rather than I'm gonna build this big resort for a hundred gajillion dollars, then I think you'll be in a better space for that. So it's really a question of saying, it's not online or in person, it's a question in person doesn't have to happen in the facility. So I think the best discipleship is face-to-face, flesh-on-flesh, but we have narrowly defined that as happening within a building, and I think if we can expand our definition, we'll do discipleship a lot better.
0: Really great. Really great comments, Carrie. Really appreciate uh, you being with us today. Appreciate your talk and uh, just your thoughts and and leadership in so many great ways. Um, I just want to be able to mention everybody, uh, sharing this podcast gets you a chance to win one of Carrie's uh, books. Um, and uh, we're really uh, excited. Uh, the book didn't see it coming. Uh, Carrie, I know you, you were just talking before we started about a brand new book. Do you want to just share just a little bit of information about that new book so that we can be looking forward to it?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm pretty excited about it. A lot of people are feeling overwhelmed right now, and so it's really an antidote to overwhelm. It's called At Your Best, and it'll be out in September. The subtitle is How to Get Time, Energy, and Priorities Working in Your Favor. And it's sort of, I burned out about 15 years ago, and I had to climb my way out of the pit. And Reggie, I, I saw your note, and I'll be praying for you and your wife and your family, by the way. Thank you so much for sharing that, and I'm so sorry for the situation you're in. Um, But, you know, long before the pandemic, a lot of us were stressed and really, really just having a hard time even keeping up. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I've had to figure out the hard way through coaching and consulting uh, how to get time, energy and priorities working in my favor. And a few years ago, one of the top questions I was getting was, how do you get it all done? How do you lead a church? How do you do a podcast? And I realized that there are principles there. So I share those principles in the book. And, uh, really hope it'll people help people get their life and leadership back. So, uh, okay. that book comes out in September. It's called at your best.
0: Fantastic. We'll look forward to that. So share uh, this uh, particular Spirecast uh, and uh, get a chance to win. Uh, Didn't see it coming so that you can read that up, get ready for the next book uh, Carrie's got coming out in September. Uh, Really appreciate the time today. Really appreciate your thoughts. Um, uh, If you haven't had the chance yet to register for the Spire Conference, we are looking forward to that event September 14th, through the 16th in National at the Gaylord Opera Band, uh, Resort and Convention Center. Really excited. Kerry is uh, right now slated to be with us. We're looking forward and hopeful that he might be able to do that uh, should all things participate uh, in our favor with regard to borders and uh, him being allowed to be able to be with us. We're looking forward to hopefully having him there and maybe but have the new book by then as well and look forward to, uh, to hearing more about that. So, so but thank you all so much for joining this Spirecast today and um, we look forward to continuing to bring you uh, ways to be uh, inspired and encouraged in ministry as uh, we continue to lead a movement. Thanks so much.